Thank you for tuning in to today's full episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Kim Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore specific topics from the world of APIs, but through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have April Dawson, Associate Dean of Technology and Innovation and Professor of Law at North Carolina Central University. April shared with me how her university was investing in the next generation of skills lawyers are going to be needing and the role that APIs in play when it comes to not just how lawyers practice law, but also how policy that governs the tech se sector will be being made in the future. Let's start with the basics. Who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be on this show. The content and information that you provide to the community is much needed. And so I'm happy to be part of the conversation. My name is April Dawson. I am the Associate Dean of Technology and Innovation at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. I'm also a professor of law. And I have taught in the past constitutional law, a Supreme Court seminar, administrative law, voting rights, uh, a number of courses. Right now, I'm focusing on developing or helping to develop our law and technology program. We have a new technology law and policy center at the law school. And um, that center is has been able to be launched because we received a $5 million grant from Intel last year. So the center was formally launched in the fall of 2021. Uh, we've brought on an executive director, Diane Littlejohn, and we have a tech law fellow, Cedric Pickett. And we have a number of students that are incredibly excited about the Tech Center, what they can learn about the emerging legal landscape, which is being greatly influenced by technology. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be in the legal academy and especially exciting time to be here at NCCU School of Law. Yeah, wow. Sounds like a, an amazing opportunity to kind of make an impact on where technology is heading, but the, the collision of, of that with the world of law. So this is the kind of the front line we, we explore a lot is, is across many different industries is, is how technology APIs mostly are, are intersecting with real estate, with finance, with healthcare, and, and in this case with, with, with the legal realm. So why is this primarily for folks who are looking to practice uh, law in the tech sector, or is it much wider than that? It's definitely much wider than that, and it's because technology impacts everything. You may have students that are interested in a specific area of the law that touches technology, so say cybersecurity law or internet law or data privacy. And then you might have students that are interested, say, in regulations or policy work. And, and as we know, technology is moving very rapidly and the law is slow to keep up. And so we need young lawyers, older lawyers who are comfortable being in the policymaking space, but also have an understanding of technology. When we think about companies and their compliance, like making sure that they don't run afoul of, of laws that exist. And again, because technology is moving so quickly, there have to be people on the ground, lawyers uh, or those that are you know legally trained 
who are able to assist and advise and counsel their clients when it comes to these new developing uh, regulations, rules, and policies and legislation. Do the students participating in the program, do they have to have programming experience? Do they have to have direct exposure with programming and writing code? Or, or is this is something that, that's much broader? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's a question that a lot of students ask. And you've got students who go to law school, they know they're interested in the law, but many of them aren't aware of the law and technology space before they come here. And so then when they find out about it and they see all of these jobs that we're talking about and they're like, well, I don't have a tech background. Is this something that I can uh, take advantage of? And, and it absolutely is. So you do not need a tech background. What you do need is a willingness to learn the ability to be uncomfortable, to go outside of your comfort zone. And because again, you know, this stuff is changing daily. And so there are technologies that will exist a year from now that don't currently exist today. So everyone in this space, and you know this, I think better than most is, is you've been, you know, right there um, on the ground, seeing the, the technologies evolve that you have to be comfortable with shifting sands. And so if the students have an interest in this space, even if they don't have a background and they're eager to learn that technology, some aspect of technology kind of excites them, then it's a good space for them to explore. Yeah, I think the level of curiosity, the fearlessness, you have to be, I see it across many different industries, not just the legal field, but folks who aren't afraid of technology kind of hitting view source in your browser and seeing what's going on behind the scenes. Always curious, always kind of poking and prodding. We need more of those people to be equipped. And while I'm always trying to educate programmers and, and, and actual developers and computer science students about APIs and the ways technology is impacting our world, I find it to be more important that we, we've got to get the normals or the muggles, the, the non-programmers uh, involved, because this is these are the folks who are going to be, I think, closer to the business challenges, the business problems, the impacts that are being made and teaching them that, hey, this isn't just for the wizards, the programmers, technologies for everyone and is, is a pretty critical piece of what we're doing. Yeah. And, and I think it, it makes for better problem solving when you have different folks at the table, you know, so you've got those that are very comfortable coding, you've got those that only interface with technology from a consumer standpoint, right? And so having all of these folks at the table just gets us to better problem solving. So yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I will say, and this is one of the reasons why students ask me about, you know, I don't have a background in tech, I mean, I love tech. My undergraduate degree is computer science and I was a programmer before going to law school. And so I've always loved the tech space. I've used tech very heavily in my teaching. I've always used it. And so when I became more familiar with how the practice of law is changing with technology, I completely jumped on it. However, I know a number of uh, legal academics um, who are very active in the legal technology education space who don't have a tech background. I have met some fabulous lawyers in all aspects where you've got an intersection between technology and law who don't have a tech background. And so it's a mixed bag, right? So we've got 
people from all backgrounds and all areas. And um, I, I think one thing that we all do share, though, is a fascination with technology. And then you can, you know, you can come up to speed with the with the tech. So what 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 drove you to this intersection? I mean, you have the you have the tech chops, the background. You 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 you're a lawyer. Where what what's the passion driving you to uh, to steer this program forward? Yeah, I so appreciate that question because before kind of moving into the legal technology kind of education space, like I, I said, I have always used technology. So I used to do a lot of workshops on utilizing technology to help us improve our teaching, to use it to improve your pedagogy. I went to the ABA Tech Show, actually it was in 2018, and I've been teaching now for going on 16 years. And so I've been in the ivory tower, which I love. And prior to becoming a law professor, I had my own practice. I've worked for large law firms. I've worked for the Department of Justice. So I've had a wide range of actual practice experience as well. But one thing that happens when you are in the legal academy, when you are teaching and you're not practicing, is you can not be quite aware of how the actual practice of law is changing. And so when I went to the ABA Tech Show, you know, I'm hearing about the, the ways that lawyers are currently practicing and how they're utilizing technology and all of these different types of jobs that didn't exist when I was in law school that I didn't even know about. And students incur a lot of debt coming to law school. I mean, most students do. And they all want to be gainfully employed. They all want to serve the community. I mean, you know, officers, lawyers are officers of the court. We, we serve the public. And we've got these jobs out there that need to be filled. We've got graduates who want to be gainfully employed and be of service. And the law schools, and I'm speaking kind of in generalities, but I think most in the, in the legal academy would agree with me, Law schools are behind the time in terms of providing students with the type of education that they need to be equipped to handle the practice of law as it exists at this moment and as it will certainly exist in the future when we're thinking about the intersection between law and technology. So, so my excitement and enthusiasm right now is, you know, I see these brilliant minds before me in my class. And I'm like, there's this amazing job over here that's focusing on cybersecurity. And, and, and we need those that understand policy and those that understand legal issues and those that understand technology so they can help guide us when we're, when we're thinking about policy decisions that have to be made. And the last thing that I'll say is, at least on this point, is, you know, we talk about legislation and we talk about regulations and if you look at our representatives particularly at the federal level now i'm over the age of 50 so i feel comfortable saying this but we need to get some fresh blood in there and i tell my students all the time i hope you all are thinking about running for office and and being in that space because it's incredibly challenging having those that are going to make technology related policy decisions that don't understand the, the fundamentals of technology uh, on, on any level. It's, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping to encourage and inspire them to be leaders in this space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I can't support that more. That's 
that's definitely uh, the driving force behind my career. I worked for the Obama administration, and I would say I did not understand fully how 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 important policy is uh, in, in our country. And I felt like I went in there pretty classic, narrow-minded Silicon Valley white guy, I'll say, is and thinking, oh, I can solve anything with technology. I'm going to come here and I'm going to bring my little techno solution toolbox and I'm going to make the world better. And then I started seeing how how policy that was set up after Vietnam War to digitize veterans records is still in place. And if I go to just apply some new techno solution to it, that a lot of that funding, the policy, a lot of the it gets unwound and a lot of veterans wouldn't receive health care or would, re, you know, so there's there's more to than me just coming in and standing up an API or building that new cool iPad app. There's a lot more behind it and seeing the impact that you can make with with a policy change, with a thoughtful one and not a, a one that's not informed or, or setting a bad precedent, like actually informed policy with the type of people they're present at the table that you speak of and ideally a diverse set of voices and faces. I saw the importance of that because I feel like the federal government at that stage is one of the only things that stands in between us and corporate and like underserved populations and corporations doing things with technology. So it's kind of an interesting line for folks to be at. And, and I agree, we need to equip that next generation of folks to, to realize that we need them there. So when it comes to this program, is this just for students leaving university or is it, how does this play out with the old guard, the old legal guard? Is How are we going to make change that's necessary in, in that old guard? Is this program targeting them or is or are these young students going to go out into the field and, and make the change that, that we want to see? Yeah, well, the wonderful thing about our tech center, and whenever I'm talking about the tech center, I always want to give a shout out to our dean, Brownie Lewis, who this is her second year as dean of the law school. And when she came on board, she wanted to make sure that we had a tech center. So she was able to to get us funding. And so we're incredibly proud of the tech center. And as we were thinking about the mission of the tech center, there are a couple of things that we're focusing on. So North Carolina Central University is an HBCU. So it's a historically black university. And the goal of the or the mission of the university and the law school is serving and serving those communities that are often overlooked and marginalized and underserved. We also, as far as the law school is concerned, we think about diversifying the legal profession. So the legal profession has a very small percentage of black lawyers. And then when we think about technology, right, a very small percentage of those that are in the technology space are black, and then you join the two together, so a legal technologist, and the numbers become even smaller. So one of the, the goals of the center is to make sure that, that we train up and develop uh, legal technologists so that we can diversify the field, because as you and I have both kind of noted, having more voices at the table lead to, that leads to better decisions. And so, we, at least initially, right, we're focusing on our students. They are the ones that are in the building. We have a law and technology certificate. So what our students, um, as they are working towards their, their uh, JD, they can also take law and technology courses and earn a law and tech certificate. So in addition to getting their JD, they'll also have this 
tech certificate, which basically demonstrates that they've done quite a bit of work studying and focusing and, and thinking critically about law and technology issues. The other thing that we do is we look for ways that we can support our alums, many of whom are new lawyers that are just new into the legal profession. And they're at a point where, you know, they're not so entrenched in a particular area and they're able to be flexible, to pivot. And so providing support for our alums as well. The other thing that we want our center to do is to provide information to the community. So something that we've been seeing a lot about, fortunately, when we're thinking about algorithmic justice and we're thinking about these algorithms that are making these decisions or that are providing information to the decision makers and how if the data is skewed or the algorithm is skewed, you can have an exacerbation of disparities that already exist. So the criminal justice system is a perfect example if you're talking about predictive policing If you're talking about whether an individual should be able to get out on on parole and when you've got these systems and models that are being used, they can cause more harm than good. And the communities that are being most greatly impacted are communities of color. So we want to have those types of decisions and we want to include the community as well, because the more of us that know about it, that are talking about it, means that we can make sure that society is not blindly following technology without being really critical about it. And so those are kind of the the areas where we're hoping to make a real impact. So needed. It's so needed because I'll be the first to admit in the AI space, there's a lot of black magic kind of voodoo aspect to black box, I should mm-hmm. say, rather than magic is and we don't all understand how how it's doing what it's doing. And there's not a lot of provenance on the mm-hmm. data. So the data that goes into this and whether it be PDF scanning to PDF scanning of court records. So the algorithms could be biased, but the data itself, I mean, court records themselves, there's, there's a lot of systemic bias in the data itself because it's historically been that way. But then the algorithms itself, there's many layers to that. And if these just keep happening in the dark, in the shadows behind applications and in tech circles and don't have eyeballs on the process and asking questions along the way, we're just going to keep perpetuating this and moving it forward. And so that's definitely, I would say, a pretty critical area. But AI is still, I I mean, it intimidates me. And I'm a software engineer many years. Mm -hmm. So how are you equipping students to, I mean, how deep do you go down some of these rabbit holes as far as data or AI to give them this certificate? You just got to kind of keep it somewhat superficial, right? Yeah, well, the, the wonderful thing about the program is the students have an opportunity to be exposed to a wide range of law and technology issues. Just So if you have the certificate, you have done some study and discussion and thinking about blockchain, even if you don't choose to do a deep dive into that. All of our students will have been exposed to that. All of our students will have been exposed to artificial intelligence and data privacy and and all of the issues. So there's a comprehensive exposure to all of the different areas where law and technology intersect. And so there are a couple of classes that the students will take that will expose them to that broad range. 
But then the students also have an opportunity to do a deep dive into a particular area that they may want to explore. And so let me go back to the kind of broad exposure. The reason why that's important, or one of the reasons why that's important is, there are many law students who just don't even know about law and technology. They don't know about all of these different areas. And so they come into law school thinking, I want to be a lawyer like the lawyer I see on TV. Well, most lawyers aren't like the lawyers we see on TV, but people have these preconceived notions. I did when I went to law school and they don't understand the possibilities. And so if we at least initially expose them to a broad range of topics, they can see what resonates with them. And then once they say, okay, well, I really like data analytics space or data privacy space. I think I'll do a deeper dive into that. So then they have an opportunity to do writing seminars. They have to do externships. They have to write papers. Papers. They can take electives on different areas. And, and so, again, they can do a, an, an incredibly deep dive. One of the other things that, that we're employing here at Central Law is certifications. So helping to support our students so that they can get some of these tech certifications that more and more lawyers are getting. So for example, lawyers who are in the data privacy space, many of them are getting the CIPP certification, the Certified Information Privacy Professional Certification. So this certification is not just for lawyers. And in fact, the majority of people who have that certification are probably not lawyers, but lawyers who plan to practice or advise or consult in that space, it makes sense for them to have that certification. And so we want our students to get that certification before they graduate. Those students that are interested in cybersecurity, we've got a class that's being offered in the summer so that the students can learn about cybersecurity, prep for the Security Plus exam, get that certification while they're also learning about the intersection between law and, and cybersecurity. And so we want to be able to provide them with not just foundational information, but to support them as they do a deeper dive into the particular law and technology area that resonates with them. Yeah, I can see that really helping folks find that lifelong or or a long enough trajectory for their career that could send them down other job routes. Once they get out of school, they could work for certain companies or government agencies or and find something that they can really get passionate about and go deep and be able to do something. And maybe even on the tech side, play around with algorithms a little bit more, get a little bit deeper dive on that blockchain that's going to be needed to understand the regulatory wins that are coming when it comes to blockchain, that kind of stuff. So super valuable. Yeah. And on your point about, you know, they may even want to get into the tech. So I will be teaching an AI class this fall. I will be team teaching it with a computer science professor from main campus. And we're going to kind of come together. We will have her graduate students and my law students in the class together. The students, all of the students, including the law students, will be doing some coding as well. All of the students will be doing some case reading as well. And so for some students, that might really excite them. So they want to do even more coding, which is which is fine. And there's a space for that, right? Lawyers who know how to code, there's a small group of lawyers that geek out over that. And that's fine. And there's a there's a place for that. Well, and there's also a lot of emerging what's called low code, no code, citizen developer tools, things that, that you don't have to write a lot of code. And I would say having these 
kind of pair programming environments and realities of bringing tech folks and business folks from different disciplines together, I see helps reduce the complexity of some of the code and things we write. So I'm building an AI library. It helps me to simplify and make and distill it down into more usable, uh, simple code snippets. If I have someone asking questions like, why did you do that? How, you know, that didn't make any sense. Cause otherwise us technologists love complexity. And, you know, so I think that pairing business folks, legal folks with technologists, I think really helps bring it down to that next level. And that's important for technology right now. Mm -hmm. And I think your point about making the ability to create accessible to the citizens, right? And so with the low code, no code applications, that it shouldn't be where you have to have programming. When I think about the programming that I've done, which has been many, many, many years ago, the only folks who were able to do that type of creation were those who either had a degree or had some sort of, of specialized training. But, you know, it should be the case that if someone desires to build and create an application, that those tools, because they can be available, that they are available. And we're actually seeing a similarity in the legal field. So it used to be the case before the internet that you had to be a lawyer in order to understand the law, right? Because it just, the information just was not accessible to regular folks. Well, now with the internet and with so many companies that are providing information to regular folks about legal issues, you don't have to be a lawyer to gain some understanding and have some foundational knowledge when it comes to issues related to law. And I'm a big proponent in let's get the information out there, because, again, the more the information's out there, the better we will be able to come up with all types of solutions. Like we, we I would hope that the practice of law evolves to the point where we don't have this access to justice gap, which we currently have because people can't afford attorneys. And so what do we see happening? We see that there are, you know, kind of like the, the no code, low code solutions. Now we have solutions where there are applications and programs and companies that are providing legal information to folks who don't have lawyers, who can't afford lawyers, but they still need that information. And I'm just big about, you know, let's, you know, make this information and these tools available for everyone. I'm so down. I'm so on board with that. Both directions, because terms of service, privacy policies for me, like reading those has to feel like a lawyer having to open up a thing of Python or code, you know, programming. <laughs> right. Like for me, having to look at it, sometimes I'm just a dread. All right. What does this mean? And I've been part of a couple terms of service didn't read, which was like the biggest lie on the Internet is that we read our terms of service because we don't. Yeah. Um, but there were several others like that that were would have terms of service on the left side and then translated version <laughs> simple on the right, right. side that said, yeah. this is what this paragraph means <laughs> yes. in a simple sentence yes. and being able to help me. And so those bridges, I think, are super critical, both yeah. directions from mm -hmm. from and, and the policy side, getting people understanding legal policy mm -hmm. and not being so intimidated by the way uh, laws are are put down, I think is important. So. Yes. Back to the, the, the program and how it got started and Intel gave is is helping fund this. 
What's the benefit for corporations stepping up and, and funding this type of program and, and, and making it happen? Yeah, thanks for asking that question um, because there are several benefits. And, I, you know, I think first and foremost, it's being a good corporate citizen, right? When, when you recognize that there's a problem with society and you have resources to help address that, then I think all companies and corporations should, you know, um, take steps, right, to, to do their part. Corporations exist and are profitable because regular folks like you and me support them. And without us, um, you know, without folks in society, they would not exist. So it is incumbent upon them to be good corporate citizens. And so when we think about uh, technology, when we think about the practice of law, and you know, we've talked already about kind of diversity, there is a lack of diversity and Intel recognized this and thought that uh, the dollars that they had and that they could provide us would help in all of our efforts to better diversify the field because if the legal field is more diverse, it means there's a greater number within the population that will be served. And again, when we think about technology and when we think about AI, right, who's building the AI, who, you know, whose code is going inside that black box. And if it's only folks that look a certain way, that have a certain background, the algorithms are, are going to be incredibly flawed, as we have already seen, because you don't have enough diversity. You don't have enough diverse voices at the table. And so the industry, the legal industry, the tech industry, the legal tech industry needs to be more diverse. And uh, Intel recognizes this. And so that's one of the reasons why they chose to give the money to an HBCU, to North Carolina Central University. Um, so, you know, being good corporate citizens, having a diverse um, industry is good for them because we're also talking about a talent pool. There are so many incredibly talented young people who exist of all shapes, sizes, colors, gender. And when you limit who you focus on, then you're limiting yourself in terms of the talent pool that is available. And so, you know, if they're able to support these young folks who are interested in this particular space, when they're looking to hire, right, because we're all getting older. Right? And we've got to think about succession planning, right? Who's going to take my place? You want to make sure that you've got a good, robust group of folks who are diverse and representative available who can start to, you know, come in and, and ensure the longevity of the company. So, so there's some selfishness there as well as they, they want to make sure that there are lawyers who are able to do the type of work that Intel does. And we absolutely have an abundance of students in our fine institution who with given the opportunities, given the proper training, would be stellar outstanding employees for Intel or any type of technology company. So would you say the the program's part of the the program's internal to educate and, and equip students with what they need? But is it also external to help address pipeline issues and, and make and, and bring more attention to the fact that this wealth of students and, and everything they know is is ready for for employment and to be part of the job market? Yes. Yeah. So I love this pipeline question because we think about pipeline in two ways. So we think about pipeline 
on the back end, when we're thinking about bringing students who might not realize that there are legal jobs that might interest them, to encourage them to consider and, you know, a, a career in law. And so we're looking at um, STEM students, right? So students who are already in the tech space at the undergraduate level, letting them know about these legal technology jobs or jobs where you've got this intersection between the two because they may not have thought about it before. And so we are trying to be supportive of those students, provide them education and information so we can get a pipeline into law school. Because again, we need lawyers who are comfortable with technology. And I can't emphasize enough, you don't have to have a STEM background to be an outstanding legal tech lawyer, but we do want to at least make sure that those students are aware. So we've got a pipeline from that end. And then when we think about the pipeline on the other side, right? And so Intel is providing us with the initial funding and we are, the $5 million is for five years, and we are already in the process of identifying additional funding so that we, you know, this center is not just a five-year center. This is, we're going for the long haul here. And so we're identifying additional funding as well. But we do want to use our institution to feed the pipeline that these companies are looking for. And so when you look at any type of technology area that's growing, there is a need for technologists, not just legal technologists, but for technologists. So if we think about cybersecurity, oh, they need folks who are experts in cybersecurity. And with any area, there's always a legal component. And there is a desperate need for lawyers who have expertise in cybersecurity. I was in the class with my students the other day, and we were talking about cybersecurity. And I said, how many of you all uh, no cybersecurity lawyer and no one put their hands up. I said, how many of you all think that cybersecurity is going to continue to be an issue in this country, in the world, and in fact will increase? And they all put their hands up. And I said, well, do you all think that there's an intersection somewhere between cybersecurity and law? They're like, yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what does that tell you about the job market, right? And we're talking about good paying jobs, right? Um, and so we want to make sure that all companies who have a need for lawyers across the board, but as it relates to the tech center, lawyers who are adept, have an understanding, and are equipped to work in a law and technology area or space of, you know, and, and there are many, right? And so it's not just kind of law and technology generally, but are we talking about policy? Are we talking about data? Are we talking about AI? Are we talking about cybersecurity? Are we talking about autonomous vehicles? All of these things are exploding and we need lawyers. And so we're providing a pipeline for all of these organizations that know they need um, lawyers who are able to do these types of these types of jobs. Yeah, so needed because I so my my role as chief evangelist at Postman, I do lots of technical things. I have a tech background, but the number one tool in my toolbox is storytelling and getting the word out there. And I'm I mean, my my wife has her master's in folklore and storytelling. I'm still telling stories from 2013 when I worked in the Obama administration mm -hmm. because some of those stories are still bearing fruit. Like I started doing work at at this pace that policy works and it works in like five, 10, 15, 20 year increments. And I'm seeing the power of that. And in, in Silicon Valley, I'm in Oakland, California, and 
So I'm kind of in the belly of the beast when it comes to tech. And several companies I work with, I'm trying to, you know, we need more uh, more eyeballs on this. Let's take cybersecurity because a lot of the vulnerabilities and issues aren't that it, it, we don't see them. The people we have at the table aren't seeing them at all or aren't seeing them as issues. And so we need more people at the table. And when you the classic answer you get when you go to hire is, well, let's 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 go to HBCUs and see where what what we we can do. And they're like, well, we did that work. They don't they're not training CS students. They're not doing the STEM investment. And I'm like, really interesting, because once you start scratching and talking to people, Mm -hmm. there's actually quite a few people being trained up in these areas. So that that gap is is seems to be I mean, I know there's other systemic illnesses there, but it's also a storytelling, a pipeline storytelling gap where the, the, the stories just aren't getting out or penetrating Silicon Valley that these pipelines exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I so appreciate you inviting me on to this podcast, because, you know, you're providing us with a platform and amplifying the message that we have. And the, and the more that people know about what we're doing here at NCCU School of Law, the more they'll reach out and they'll be able to, to take advantage of the wonderful, wonderful talent pool and amazing students and future lawyers that we have in this space. I am just, you know, I can it can be very frustrating, you know, watching the news and just, you know, seeing what's going on in the world. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have a job where every single day I have an opportunity to interact and engage with the future. And I'm going to tell you, from my perspective, the future is incredibly bright. These students are amazing and they are going to make exceptional lawyers. They are going to change the world. So thank you very much for, for letting me share and, and give you my thoughts and more importantly to um, amplify North Carolina Central University School of Law and the Tech Center in yeah. particular. No, I, I appreciate your time. This is a very important issue. I think if we're going to take on all these these issues we face from blockchain and currency to AI and 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 that we're going to have to have more folks at, at the table um, to be able to see and and understand because that's the biggest problem with digital is being able to see things. It's all digital. And it's really difficult to see everything that's happening. And when you don't have a diverse set of eyes on on problems, you t- you miss even more than yes. than than I think even in the physical world. So it's really important in the API space. And APIs are invisible. So I'm always about helping see this reality. So I really appreciate you being here and, and sharing the program. What's next for the program? Like what's what's 2022, 23 look like? What's top of mind? So the Law and Technology Certificate, so the center was launched in the fall and our uh, Law and Technology Certificate was also launched in the fall. And so we're bringing in a new group of students right every fall. And so they will be the first students that will come in with the center already in place, with the certificate already in place. And so we've got a number of students that are making a decision about which law school to attend thinking specifically about the Tech Center. And so we're excited about that and encouraging them to to join us. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned API. One of the things that we're hoping to do this is one of the many things we're hoping to do is to help the students gain an understanding of, of you know, some of these, you know, applications. And so, you know, there are a lot of legal data that's out there. And 
students hear about APIs, lawyers hear about APIs, but a lot of folks don't understand what they are. And, and they're, you know, the concept is not that complex. It seems complex, the concept isn't that complex. And once you kind of pull back the layers a little bit, you can see how incredibly powerful they are. And so one of the things that we wanna do is to make sure that our students have an opportunity to get their hands dirty and do things with the technology and the information that more and more lawyers are thinking about doing, that we encourage them to do. And so, yeah, we're just really excited about all the different projects and, and the excitement that the students have as well, because the legal landscape continues to change as a result of technology. And so we just want to make sure that we prepare our students for, for the future. Yes. I, so I will, I mean, based on our conversation, we fired up a couple other kind of offshoots, but one of the areas I want to give back to your, you for your time here and, and is I'll write up a few stories on some of the, the leading areas that I've been working on and seeing when it comes to the intersection of APIs, technology and, and law. So I worked on the Oracle v. Google copyright case. I worked on that since 2012 and we just, it all went all the way to Supreme Court, but APIs are copyrightable. That is the law of the land, even though I don't believe they should be. <laughs> so that's an important one. Facebook's anti-competitive practice around Instagram and WhatsApp is another top API the FTC is looking into right now. GDPR, CD, CCPA, mm -hmm. and privacy, those are all very big API questions. So I'm going to refresh my list of top API legal issues. And as those stories come off the assembly line, I'll mention mention you in the program in this conversation. And I'll share those with you. And then maybe we can light the fire under some of the students and get them involved in, in some of these issues. So. Oh, absolutely. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, this has been great. Really appreciate your time. I'm really appreciative to Latroy, who's uh, my partner in crime on this episode or on the show for bringing us together. And thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Absolutely. And thank you as well. And thank you, Latroy, for reaching out. We appreciate it. Thanks again to April for stopping by. You can find more about North Carolina Central University at law.nccu.edu. And you can find April on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>